Welcome to a bonus episode of Happier Healthier with Conway Medical Center. Our guest is Dr. Sharon Thompson, Distinguished Professor Emeritus of Public Health at Coastal Carolina University. Dr. Thompson is our first guest from the Conway Medical Center College of Health and Human Performance, and she is a major force in CCU's health education programs. On top of that, she has done extensive research on nutrition and health behavioral change. Some of her published studies look at topics like the female athlete triad, eating disorders in fitness communities, and more. She is also a leader of the Swain Scholarship Program and gives us a look into some of the incredible research those students are working on. And I do want to preface this episode with a warning. We discuss some tough subjects such as eating disorders, mental health, and gun violence. If you feel like listening to this conversation will be harmful for you, we have plenty of other episodes in the archives to choose from. I also wanted to mention for anyone struggling with an eating disorder seeking help, National Eating Disorders Awareness Association has a 24-7 hotline available. Call 1-888-375-7767. Of course, your primary care provider is another resource for any health concern you may be having. And just as a reminder, all content discussed on CMC's Happier Healthier podcast are the individual opinions of our hosts and guests and should not be construed as personalized medical advice. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast to treat any medical condition for either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues you may be having. This disclaimer applies to any guest or contributor to the podcast. With that, let's get into today's episode with Dr. Sharon Thompson. Today, I am joined on the podcast by Dr. Sharon Thompson. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you, Claire. Um, You are our first guest from Coastal, um, and you are in the Conway Medical Center College of Health and Human Performance, so we're super excited to have you on and kind of dive into this field of CMC and CCU. So we'll start with the quick intro question. Um, What is something you have been doing recently to make you feel happier and healthier? Something I've been doing recently to help me feel happier and healthier, I actually have started a certification in meditation and breath work. That's something that uh, I've explored a little bit before, but never really spent time a great amount of time to really be proficient at it. So I thought if I did the certification, then I would be motivated to complete that. You told me you love a certification. Yes, I do love a certification (laughs) because it makes me accountable. Right. To finish it, yeah. Awesome. I I love meditation. I used to be so good at it, and now it is so hard. But It it takes regular practice. It really does. Yes. Um, So we'll start at the beginning. You grew up in Florence. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, Well, back in the 60s, when I was a young child in Florence, it was a great city to grow up in. Um, My my mother's still alive. She's 92. She lives there. She's in the manor in Florence. And my father was a Lutheran minister. I was very active uh, growing up, loved to read. And my first job was actually at a hospital in Florence. I gave out the food trays to all the patients starting when I was 14 years old. So I sort of started, I guess, in a health and medical field, in a a food field, too, in a certain way. Do you remember um, why you chose to do that? The reason why I chose to do that was because I knew the lady who was over the kitchen at the hospital, and I knew I could get a job and that she would hire me, but it was a tough job. I have a lot of respect for anyone who works in the kitchen anywhere, 
particularly in a hospital. Oh yeah, they do so much. They on Thanksgiving were whipping out insane amounts of turkey. It was it was nuts. <laughs> so you started your education at Clemson. So what attracted you to Clemson from Florence? Well, I grew up a big University of South Carolina fan because both of my parents had gone there and I uh, always thought I would probably go to USC and I went to visit a high school friend at Clemson and just fell in love with Clemson. And being a little bit rebellious, I just chose to go to Clemson and City University of South Carolina. I did, however, go to USC for my graduate degree. So everyone's happy in the end. And crazy enough, I majored in ornamental horticulture at Clemson, which is quite a different path from the one I'm on right now. Yeah, so tell me about that switch. Why, why did you end up choosing you know, the health education field? I was a very lost college student. And in a way that's been valuable to me as a professor because I think many students in college are lost as to what they wanna do. So I was at freshman orientation and the gal next to me was really cute. She had this short blonde hair and I asked her what she was majoring in. And she said, ornamental horticulture. And I thought, what is that? And she said, oh, it's so much fun. You get to grow plants and arrange flowers. And I thought, oh, wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. So I changed my major to ornamental horticulture, never really having owned a plant before or done anything outside. So anyway, I, um, that's actually what brought me to Myrtle Beach. I came here to teach horticulture. And while I still do enjoy working in the yard and that kind of thing, I knew it wasn't where I wanted to be. So that took a little bit more sorting out to, to figure that out. And how did you figure it out that it, how did you figure out it was health that you were so interested in? Uh, well, when I got the job teaching horticulture, I'd never taken an education class before, so I was on an emergency certificate. I was required to get certification. Once again, my love of certification. <laughs> and so I started taking education classes to get certified and to get my master's. And one of the classes I took was a health class here at Coastal, Back Mills Coastal Carolina College. I took that class and I knew right away that is what I want to do. I want to major in health education and I want to be a professor at Coastal. And I never looked back. I started dry working here, teaching part-time, driving back and forth to Columbia to finish my degree got the professor job, and um, that's been 35 years. So, And what was that like going to school here and getting your degree and driving, or sorry, not here, but teaching here and then driving to um, USC? That was hard because that was before distance learning. Um, I had a young child, and my parents and my husband's parents helped take care of her. Uh, but I love in-class learning, and because I did have to drive, I did get to know others in the class and the professors at USC too. So that was a good experience. Yeah, I bet. And you played a really large role in establishing the health promotion major. So tell me kind of what went into that. Um, well, how I actually got hired here at Coastal, I was, I lived across the street from the university. I was swimming in the pool when I was pregnant with my first daughter. And one of the associate deans came up to me and said, you seem really fit. How would you like to teach in our senior program here? It's called ABLE, A Better Lifestyle Experience. And I said, well, what is that? He said, well, you do 15 minutes of fitness education, and then you take them to the weight room. So anyway, that evolved into teaching Health 121. So when I first came, there were only two health classes here at Coastal. 
And the classes were very popular. So over time, we added a few more. And then I spoke to administration about a, a health education minor. And we had that approved. And that grew wildly popular. And at that point in time, people started putting together a health degree through our interdisciplinary studies degree, which is where you can sort of craft a degree for your profession. So many students that it was decided, let's start a degree. And so we had our degree in um, health promotion that was approved. And um, eventually that evolved to public health, mainly because of accredita accreditation. We had an accreditation for health promotion, and then that sort of morphed into one. Um, that one went away, and there was one for public health. So our degree was changed to public health at that point in time. And what are the differences between health promotion? I've never heard of specifically a health promotion major. What is that? With health promotion, we really were just all about prevention versus the pillars of public health. We one of the pillars of public health, for example, is epidemiology. We did not have an epidemiology course within our health promotion degree. It was, um, we had like family life and sexuality, nutrition, diseases and disorders, so drug education, a wide array of classes. Um, other pillars of public health, health administration is one, biostatistics is one, so our students now do take a statistics class. Um, and also environmental health. We've always had an environmental health class, but it's just shaped a, a little bit differently in, as public health. So to go from having two health classes to now having the Conway Medical Center College of Health and Human Performance, what is that like for you being here through it all and watching that grow? You know, Coastal has always just had such a huge place in my heart, and I do just love this area so much. So I'm, I can't say I'm really surprised, but I am overjoyed because I saw the public, excuse me, the health promotion degree that morphed to public health later and turned into an exercise and sports science degree. I saw the recreation degree change into the recreation and sports science degree. And then we've all come together, and now the new nursing degree. Conway Medical Center has done a fantastic job of really stepping up to the plate to just involving our college into the community. And um, it, it's, it just brings me great joy to see that and really to think about the future. I am very excited about the future, and I think we are going to play a key role really in a lot of health degrees, medical types of degrees too. Just give it time and patience. Absolutely, yeah, we're very excited for the future. So there are so many majors in this college, so many fields and courses. Let's talk specifically about public health. So okay. what specific degrees fall under public health and then what careers do you know, people usually tend towards? Well, in public health, I, I always say it's a rather broad degree, so it's confusing for students sometimes because when you go into education, I'm going to be a teacher, or you go into nursing, I'm going to be a nurse. But with public health, we have students that are just in so many different types of programs. We have students who are working in um, centers for disease control. We have students that are in drug rehab kinds of places. We have students working in public health. We have students who are working in doctor's offices doing health administration. And a lot of our students go on, it's a strong science background, into either um, 
apply to PA school. You can get your prereqs through the degree, PT, occupational therapy, medical degree, chiropractic. My chiropractor is one of our um, previous health promotion majors from, from back in the day. And also our students are eligible to sit for an exam called Certified Health Education Specialist, which is a credentialing. So um, they can, there's certain jobs that require that credentialing, so they are eligible for those jobs. And what were your favorite lectures that you taught within the school? Um, my two favorite classes I've taught are nutrition, and I'm still teaching nutrition. I love teaching the digestion absorption portion, that whole, I think our, the body is so amazing, and to just think about how our food is turned into our body is, is very interesting to me. And another um, class that I really enjoyed te teaching was a theories of behavioral change class. I think it's very interesting uh, to study the mind and um, how much of an influence that is on our health choices and different behaviors that we carry out every day. And do you have techniques that you bring to your classroom? I mean, these are some loaded topics, you know, like even explaining nutrition. Do you have any projects or things that you bring to the classroom that your students seem to really enjoy and learn from? I'm very much a visual learner, so I carry that into the classroom. Also, a lot of activities, too. Um, with, like with each theory we would teach in the theories of behavioral change, there would be activities they would do with others, listening skills and, and different things like that, too. With nutrition, I would have all kinds of visuals that would come with me to help them to just grasp those concepts a little bit better. And these are concepts you've done extensive research on. So what sparked your curiosity with specifically nutrition and behavioral changes? Um, I'll have to give credit to that for my, my, really my courses at University of South Carolina. I really did not even realize how broad the field was of public health until I started my graduate degree because I came from an ornamental horticulture background. <laughs> my professor, who was also my dissertation chair, uh, his name was Roger Sargent, and he taught nutrition. He was especially interested in uh, eating disorders, weight management, obesity. And um, uh, his class, I never minded the two-hour and 20-minute drive to Columbia to go to his class because it was just so intriguing to me. So I think that really sparked my desire to, to get into that area. And you have... You're a national authority on nutrition and weight disorders. What are some of the specific topics that you've, you've written about and you've researched? Well, uh, so, so when I first started, I really was more in the whole nutrition field than I, than I am currently. But early on, and, and I'll explain why in just a moment, but female athlete triad, childhood obesity, dieting, ideal body size among children, race and weight concern, calcium consumption, bone health, and sources of dieting information among children. And the reason why I strayed from that, for the past 15 years I've been working with the Swain Scholars Program, which is a program where top students in our college come together and they're mentored through the whole research process and then the culmination is a presentation or two at national conferences. So for the past 15 years I've sort of Put some of my nutrition, I still have a passion for those, but 
I let the students guide me as to where they want to go. So some of the different things we've, we've done through that, um, the opioid epidemic, mental health issues, gun safety, suicide, eating disorders, bullying, bicycle safety, homelessness, intimate partner violence. So each year has been a different topic that we work on for two years. So it's been great though, because I have learned so much from my students and I have found if they choose the topic, they're gonna be much more passionate about it than if I tell them you have to do nutrition research, which of course, if it were up to me, I probably would have said that each year for the past 15 years, but it's been great and that I've learned a lot. Those are some, some heavy topics for college students too. Do you ever find that there are difficult moments in teaching? Them? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, they're, they're, gun safety, I think, was one of the toughest in that, um, you know, they were actually attacked at one presentation because people thought that they were trying to take away, you know, someone's freedoms, freedom to have weapons. But basically, their message was, you know, one of safety and um, and, and, and that was sort of missed in that presentation. But it was, a, it was a great learning experience for them. So from then on, they knew they had to do a different spin on guns and weapons in our area than their initial thought. And working with these scholars, has, have you noticed a difference in the past, you said you've been with them for 15 years, mm -hmm. how, how their phones and social media kind of sway the way they want to look into topics or the type of research they do? Um, we have gotten, in fact, we have, a lot of our mental health research has actually looked at social media. So that has definitely influenced. And but I feel like in the classroom, it's been tougher for me than probably one-on-one -on -one working with the Swain Scholars, just the phones being pulled out during lectures and, and attention and, and things like that. Um, but certainly social media is a strong influence on um, mental health. And I think that's why actually for the past three years, all three of the Swain Scholar groups have opted to do some type of research with a mental health spin on it. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. And so one of the um, studies you have done, jumping back a little, that you mentioned was well, one that was interesting is the female athlete triad. Mm -hmm. can, first, can we talk a little bit about that? And then you said something about sources of diets among children. Is that what you said? Right. That's yeah. really interesting to me, too. So mm -hmm. we'll start with the female athlete triad and then jump okay. to that one. Um, well, back in the day, I, I did some research on um, eating disorders in the fitness community. And that really got me interested in the female athlete triad. And basically with that study, we found that 90% of the fitness instructors who are average or underweight, yet 43% wanted to be thinner. And about one in five or 21% either previously or currently had an eating disorder, which we found very disturbing that they were uh, role models. So many of them, when they did their surveys, that was back in the day of paper, pencil, and there were no computer surveys. A lot of them wrote notes about um, bone density problems and things like that. So with the female athlete triad, it really is disordered eating, a lack of calcium consumption, and then to um, bone density issues. So um, that's basically where that came from. I also did some research with cross-country runners, another population that we found a lot of them had 
stop menstruating as a result of their intense training and inadequate calorie intake. Uh, we also did cheerleaders, did research with cheerleaders and found much the same with them. Um, any sport where a smaller body size may be beneficial for performance, very often um, lack of calories, lack of, lack of um, calcium, as well as um, over-exercising can lead to bone density kinds of problems. Yeah, I definitely want to jump, delve into that topic, but tell me also about the sources of diet. What, what, would you, what was the exact name of the study, Source of Diets in Children? Um, you know, I don't have the title right in front of me, but at this point in time, this study was done probably 20 years ago before there was social media. So um, most of the information we found from those children is, was just role modeling from what they heard from their parents. So I think sometimes parents don't realize what a strong influence they are on their children and little things they say about their body that are disrespectful or ugly, the, you know, your children pick up on that and it very much influences them to feel the same way about their bodies. So we found that it was the parental um, influence that was the strongest. Now with social media today, if I were to do that study again, I think the results would be quite different, although parents would probably still play a key role too. Absolutely. And what is some of the unhealthy messaging that you see in fitness communities? You know, because the instructor, their job is to lead the class. Right. So sometimes, and I've noticed for me, being a fitness instructor, mm -hmm. in Kentucky, we, you know, I started really getting into it when I quit figure skating. Mm -hmm. It was 2016, and it was still kind of acceptable to say like, okay, earn your Thanksgiving or things like that. Mm -hmm. But even by, let's say like 2020, people didn't really say that anymore. And I kind of noticed it was a conversation online too. When I think the messaging on social media made people aware that, okay, you can't really say these things anymore. And I would notice in some of our older instructors who weren't so active on social media, they'd keep saying these things and have less students and things like that. But I was kind of shocked when I went from Boulder to South Carolina, you asked if it was an adjustment. It was an adjustment when I went to a fitness class, you know, hearing those messages still so prevalent in class. Um, and the way that they influence even older adults, it, they don't have to be young kids. Honestly, anyone can get influenced because that's who you're looking up to as your leader. So. What are some of the messages that are a little unhealthy that are kind of common in those situations? You know, I, for the past five or six years, I, I have not been going to a gym. So I cannot say that I, this is based on what I observe right now. But in my experience, and I did teach fitness classes for a lot of years, in observing, it seems like there is just a overarching uh, cloud in the room of there's something wrong with your body and you have to change it. And if you lift harder or work heavier, then your body will be better and your life will be happier. So it's, it's almost like you're fighting your body versus making peace with your body. And if you think about the whole fitness setting, very often there are mirrors and so if other people are around, there's social comparisons with your body versus theirs. Um, there are the, 
you know, people wear, I think, looser clothing now, but any type of clothing lends itself to a lot of scrutiny, too, when you see other people. Um, and I think, too, I've seen, you know, people say, oh, wow, you know, look at him or look at her, look at their muscle, they're so muscular, or look at them do that headstand if it's a yoga class or handstand or whatever they're doing. So it's a lot of admiration for things that can lead to feeling like you're less than adequate and there's something wrong with you because you don't fit that mold. And what about um, in parenting? I mean, I always say I was so lucky because my family is Italian, eat a Mediterranean diet. We would have, you know, steak and potatoes in a salad on the side, which I would never eat as a kid. Um, I'd eat the croutons, but <laughs> they never really were, I didn't know what a calorie was until I kind of became obsessed with them. Mm -hmm. So there's more messaging than just, you know, what is kind of obvious that I see, and especially in being a figure skater, you know, the mom would say like something that seems so innocent, but is so impactful to people. Mm -hmm. What are some of those messages that you would, you know, if you could tell a parent to avoid, you would tell them to avoid? I hope I avoided those as a parent. But, you know, just growing up in my home, my mother, she was a little bit overweight, but not massively overweight. But my father always called her Fatty Mae and told her she needed to lose weight. Do you really need to eat that? Um, he would constantly interrogate her. And so in my mind, I got that message. Wow, you know, I have to be really careful because I don't want that same message being said about me. I came home from college one time and my father said, wow, Sharon, you've really got a gut on you. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have turned into my mother now. So, you know, I, I don't, he didn't say those things to her to thinking he would affect me or my sister or brother, but it did, you know. So I think you have to be careful, um, even in conversation, conversations with each other as parents, uh, topics related to, you know, body size, body weight, just body acceptance, loving who you are, accepting what you are, and just trying to, you know, to live with that and, and, and make the best of it. And what are some ways you teach healthy eating in a positive way? Um, you know, it, at first I thought that would be difficult before I taught a nutrition class, but my message first and foremost is, is just healthy body weight, a weight where you feel good and you can do everything you want to do. I don't ever, um, you know, say you need to do this, you need to do this. It's always, you know, a, a more global message whereby, you know, if you would like to prevent type 2 diabetes and you're working with clients, then these are some things you might do. Also, too, I try to teach, again, appreciation for the body and how miraculous it is. And we all have these wonderful bodies. And to tell students, y'all have great bodies. If there's one message I can give you is, you know, just keep your body at this nice, healthy weight and, um, and you know, care about your body. Don't fight your body. Won't defeat it with foods that will help it flourish and feel good. I had this amazing sports nutritionist who I just truly credit with so much, but she would have me, I was very big into counting. I loved the numbers. Right. And 
I memorized them by heart and that made it difficult, you know, to sit down at a meal and actually enjoy myself. So she had me do this thing where instead of counting calories and macronutrients, I would count all the benefits of each food. So say I had, you know, a salad with carrots and sweet potatoes, it would be, you know, vitamin B, vitamin A, this is helping my eyes, this is helping. And that was such a cool way to look at food. Yeah, um, I, I love that in thinking of the benefits of food. I had not heard that before, but I will definitely use that. Uh, but really, the, the, the message that I currently try to make first and foremost in my nutrition class is whole foods. You know, just try to try to, you're, to choose. I know you're on a budget and all those different kinds of things. Foods that look like when they were pulled from the ground or grew from a tree. So in other words, an apple versus an apple turnover or, you know, grilled chicken versus fried chicken. Just really think about whole foods. And that's a message that doesn't deal with all kinds of percentages and numbers and all those different kinds of things, but most people can understand. And we actually do a whole food challenge in my class where for three days they, um, you know, just choose whole foods and then write about that. It's always a really interesting experience. That's super cool. What are some other common weight disorders that are prevalent in our community? Um, you know, we, we hear about anorexia and bulimia, um, binge eating, but I, I, and some of my research has been in this area too, really it's just disordered eating or eating problems. That doesn't really fit nicely into a category like those, but, um, you know, one study showed that about 22% of adolescents have disordered eating. And that is just really what we've been talking about. Your relationship with food is not necessarily a healthy one. You know, you eat things that you judge as bad, and then you feel guilty and bad about yourself. You, you overeat and then don't feel well. So I think eating problems and disordered eating um, affects well, definitely affects a lot more people than the categorizations of bulimia, anorexia, and also um, binge eating. And do you feel like the message and the conversation around these disorders has changed? I, I do feel like it, it has changed um, in, in, a, in a good way. And in, in fact, I do think people are more accepting of different body sizes and types now than they were decades ago. And I Although we, you know, talk badly about social media and, and TV and all of that, but I do feel like that the models that are on, there, there are different skin colors and sizes now, which I think is, is really good. People, you know, accepting their, their beauty and their body type and, and size. So I, I, I feel that's very positive. Yeah, I think social media has brought so much good. And then also on yes. the other side, you know, it really opens up a lot of people's eyes to disorders, whether it's mental health, physical health, and weight. And it, it makes it easier when you're struggling to not have to struggle alone because a lot of these disorders, you'd think, oh, you don't look X, Y, Z, but you really, it, they are mental. They start in your brain. And, right. and sometimes it's hard because there are so many people that could go through it alone and it is so isolating. So those are hard to see. Have you done any research into orthorexia or have you heard of that? Uh, actually, I have a discussion forum reading for my nutrition class on orthorexia where people are totally obsessed. And 
they see yeah, food as a religion and, and maintaining this one certain body type. And if you hang around fitness centers, especially certain fitness centers, you can identify those people quite easily. But I always tell students, you know, we don't really like moderation in the United States, but moderation is is huge. You know, it's it's the swings of you don't want to be overly stringent about your eating. Eating is not a religion or, or anything. You know, it should be enjoyable um, and it should nourish your body well. And orthorexia, if I'm not mistaken, is the obsession with healthy living, healthy eating, exercise, and to a lot of people, that sounds like pretty good. That's a problem I'd like to have, maybe. But I don't think people people glamorize this. And that's where I think social media sometimes is kind of evil because it's like, I wake up at 4 a.m., I do X, Y, Z, and a lot of people fall into that and think that's normal. So what, to someone who's listening and, and thinks that's maybe like a healthy mindset, why isn't it a healthy mindset? Well, I think the problem with that is it's sort of like the whole um, athlete who trains too much and has female athlete triad. They run extra after the group, and everybody praises them like, "Oh, wow, you're so, you're so wonderful. You run extra." Or the person in the gym, you know, who, who looks perfect. You know, there is so much more to life than your body, <laughs> and your mental health really is is huge. Your social connections are big. I think when you're so into your body, you probably lose sight of caring relationships and cultivating new friendships. Um, you know, sleep is an important part, and it has so much to do with, with your mental health. So I feel like it's just a very one-sided focus that over time, um, as your body ages particularly, it humbles you in a lot of ways. So you have to, uh, you know, just, just learn other ways to... Um, to, to feel good about who you are in your body. I think it's so cool to that you're able to have these conversations with college students. I mean, they are such an impressionable group of people. So I think that's amazing. And then through the Swain Scholarship Program, they kind of open up other conversations to you. Are there any studies they've done or things you all have looked into in that program that was something you hadn't really explored on your own? Basically, all of those topics I named earlier are topics that I never really explored on my own. And, and there have been times when they've come up with a topic and I've thought, oh, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this topic. But I, I have rolled with it and gone with it. And, and, uh, and like I said, just, just really learned a lot. So that, uh, I think our students are very wise and it's been great to have them lead me into different research areas. It's so cool. I might go back to college. And try. <laughs> it's a great program. It really is. I love it. Um, let's talk about obesity as a disorder. Is that something you have ever you've looked into or studied? Um, as far as obesity as a disorder, I mean, I've taught about it in my nutrition class. I have never directly conducted research on. Um, you know, obesity, metabolic problems, and, and those different kinds of things. Um, but I give advice about how to prevent obesity. But I believe that, um, you know, obesity is a medical condition and um, that medical care can, can greatly help quality of life for that. Yeah, and how do you go about this, this topic when Southern food and, you know, 
and let's say a less healthy lifestyle is a bit more normal here in the South? Um, You know, I always say that baby steps are okay. And, um, you know, even a small change can make a big difference over time. You know, perhaps remove sweet drinks or just have one a week. You know, move the salt shaker off the table. Choose olive oil. Um, Give up fried food. Now, I am an ex-fried chicken addict, being from South Carolina, and I just have it on special occasions when somebody serves it. But, you know, just trying to take little baby steps. And if you do have a trigger food that causes you to want to eat more and more and more, it's probably best not even try to eat that in moderation. It's probably better just to, to stay away from it. And you said trigger food. That makes me think we didn't talk as much about um, binge eating. Mm-hmm. What There's a mental side of binge eating. I think that's, that's kind of different. Mm-hmm. And it has those triggers and stuff. Mm-hmm. What kind of does that entail? I mean, it's a very complicated disorder, and I don't think it's talked about very commonly. Right. And I think a lot of people deal with it. So, I don't know, let's talk a little bit about that. Okay, that sounds good. Um, you know... With bulimia, there are binges, but the binges generally are followed by purges, such as um, limiting calorie intake, excessive exercise, laxatives, vomiting. Binge eating, there are binges. However, there is not a method to try to purge those calories from the body afterwards. So with binge eating, as you can imagine, very often that leads to overweight problems because of the large amount of calories. It is very much a secretive kind of disease such as anorexia. With anorexics you can look at someone generally and know they're anorexic because of their very thin body size. But with bulimics and binge eaters you often don't know because they can look a normal body size. Um, But with the binge eaters if they continue to binge certainly over time there's a lack of control. There's a hopelessness. There's a helplessness. Um, it's it, it's a it's a tough mental condition, and it, and it and it is in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of um, you know eating disorders. So, and eating disorders are I'm not sure if medically they're classified, but in any kind of research I've done, they're addictions. Same with you know being addicted to drugs. You're addicted to either binge eating or food or restriction. Can you kind of speak about how that works? Uh, you're right. I mean, they, they are addictions. And for the anorexic, it is often the idea to, to achieve perfection to be a certain body size. And when that body size is reached, it's still not good enough, and it needs to be less and less and less. Um, with, with bulimia, it's, it's not as much about perfection as a lack of control, a, a way to try to maybe manage stress in the life through, through in your life through eating and then getting rid of it and feeling you know better and then perhaps going right back to the convenience store and, and eating again so very often with these there are certain types of medications that can be prescribed that can help reduce some of the anxiety that can come along with anorexia bulimia and binge eating disorder um, that along with perhaps stress management techniques and, and cognitive therapy and all those different kinds of things. 
It's so interesting. It's such a complicated topic. It is very complicated. It's um, very complicated and one that a lot of times people don't like to talk about. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a tough conversation. It is. Um, at the hospital this month, we've been talking a lot about heart health. Right. Um, so kind of switching gears, how do you teach your students about cardiovascular health and, you know, some of the things like cholesterol, blood pressure, and, and why those are so important? Well, certainly we talk about, um, especially in my nutrition class, you know, what they can do as far as reducing saturated fat and omega-3s found in like fish and walnuts and how that can improve your um, blood profiles. We talk about increasing fiber intake because that can play a role in reducing your blood cholesterol, all those different kinds of nutrition things. And certainly fitness, the importance of steps or exercise. But I, I think the cool thing about public health is that it, it looks at it at a broader view. And uh, we also talk about things such as the importance of social support. You know, if you live in, in an area or have people you can count on, then you're going to have better cardiovascular health than, than those who do not. Also, the fact that we live here in a very car-centric environment in Myrtle Beach we don't have bike paths and um, a lot of sidewalks for people to get around, and that affects cardiovascular health. It's not something that's easily solved, um, but it definitely affects cardiovascular health. And then just food choices. There are a lot of, of fast food choices that are inexpensive, that are filling. We don't have that many farmers markets compared to some of the other um, places we have. So, so, you know, with public health, we try to look at the environment and what we can do to try to, um, you know, make that more conducive to change rather than pointing fingers at people and saying, wow, why do you have this disease or ailment? You know, but what can we do to try to make the environment easier to live your best life? That's awesome. What are some of the what are some of the other issues you all look at in terms of the environment and how that impacts um, our health and our community? Yeah, one that's, that's been um, I've seen more lately that I find really interesting is the um, and and this is no offense to the to the dollar kind of stores, but um, very often they are popping up in a lot of rural South Carolina, and when they do, the the local grocery stores are more likely to go out of business. And it also affects employment because the grocery stores generally employ more people than they do. Um, and so having the more processed food at the dollar stores versus the local family grocery stores is impacting health of people who live in rural communities, um, not only in South Carolina, but in, in other areas of our nation, too. Do you all ever talk about um, ways that more people can access healthier foods? I mean, I think people sometimes kind of make frozen foods the enemy and stuff, but they're not always that bad. I, and I think there are ways to make healthy eating a bit more affordable. Do you, is that a conversation you have? Yeah, that's such a great point. Because I always say, you know, if you can't have fresh, frozen food is frozen fresh. And so the nutrient value actually is, is pretty good with your, your different frozen fruits and vegetables. Um, and you know, if you, if you don't have that, canned food is, is readily available. And so to choose that, just to try to get more 
you know, fruits and vegetables into your diet, that really is a key point because they are just so filled with um, beneficial vitamins and minerals that, that our body needs. And if you live on a fast food diet too, you know, often if you think of a fast food plate, it's, it's very often brown and beige, you know, whether it's chicken or hamburger or French fries, you want to have a very colorful plate. So um, if you can't get to the produce market, you could still perhaps have, you know, frozen fruits and vegetables, or even some canned to try to add some color to your diet. Um, I heard once frozen food is sometimes more nutritious, like frozen fruits and vegetables, because they're frozen when they're at their peak and when they're in season. Whereas I mean, I've been eating strawberries like it's my job, but they're not in season. So it's sometimes healthier to get the fruit. I don't know if that's true. But that I is true. That, okay. that is true because you think about it. How often do you, let's say, and I'm guilty of this too, buy apples and they'll sit in my crisper for weeks, you know, where frozen food is picked fresh and frozen. So that does preserve more of the nutrients. Main thing is with your vegetables, you don't want to boil them to death, you know, that kind of thing. You want to cook them in the quickest way possible. Uh, you know, whether it's in the microwave or a stir fry or something like that, that's the best way to preserve the nutrients. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mentioned earlier that social media and my generation, I think I'm Gen, Gen Z, and, but Gen X and Gen Alpha, they, they all, we use our phones a lot. Right. And I think in the past five or 10 years, we've kind of been fed more nutrition, fitness, supplements. All of us kind of have more of a natural inkling towards wellness than we did when I was, you know, in middle school. Do you notice that change in your students? Yes, absolutely. They're, and, it, and it's great. And that students today are much more informed about nutrition and supplementation. It's great on one side. Uh, and, and I will say the students I have now, Coastal's quality of student has continues to increase year after year. So some really, have had some really great students and have great students now. But one thing we, we talk about in public health, if you, have a, if you don't have an opinion on something, it's much easier to educate you about um, evaluation and research and proper choices. But if you already have an opinion on something, and let's say there's so much nutrition misinformation out there, it's very hard to change your mind for me to, to change your mind, no matter how right. much research I show you and everything. So it is wonderful in that they are more well-read, but it's difficult in that if some of their habits or things they choose are not really helpful and they're throwing their money in a bad way away, it's difficult to change their mind about those practices. Right. We're very hyper-aware, but yes. it doesn't always mean we're aware of the correct information. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. We're aware of something. Yeah. Um, I think, too, and you mentioned you have, you taught fitness and we're a personal trainer. I see, and I'm still teaching a little bit, but in TikToks and Reels, people are, you know, turning to them, this is my trainer, but anybody can post a Reel of them throwing some heavy weights over their head with not the best form. And I think I was talking to one of our physical therapists about this, that that's a lot of reasons that she gets clients is that people are trying to, which is great. It's, it's great to have, you know, it's free and stuff like that. But is it there ever a conversation that you, you have to have with your students that these aren't all professionals, you know? 
and, and to me, that's the most valuable lesson I feel like I can give students, is how to be an informed consumer and how to conduct research about new supplements or the latest food fad or exercise fad. Because if you have that skill, then that will stay with you your entire life. Um, so I, I, I feel that that is first and foremost a message I try to get across in all of my public health classes. Is get certified. <laughs> yeah, get certification. <laughs> Make sure you get the certification for the right place. It really, it really goes a long way. Yeah. Um, that was mostly my questions. Is there any other topic you would want to talk about or anything you want to add? Um, no, I just want to thank uh, Calvary Medical Center for the the prominent role that they've played in our Calvary Medical Center College of Health and Human Performance. It's really uh, strengthened our excitement about building this college and the future. Well, thank you. We are very excited about it, too. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, so nice meeting you, Claire. <laughs> The third annual Conway Medical Center Tennis Classic is here. Sign up now to support CMC Cancer Center. Visit cmcfoundationsc.com. Happier Healthier with Conway Medical Center is brought to you by the CMC Foundation. Learn more at www.cmcfoundationsc.com or by visiting the link in our show notes. And you can also find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Conway Med and on Facebook and TikTok at Conway Medical Center. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please leave a five-star rating and a review to help us continue to make more episodes. Again, we really appreciate you all and are wishing you happiness and health. See you next week.